Hi, I'm Michael Stittle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. Uh, Nick, huge uh, news week for us in, in terms of sports. I'm talking, of course, about England's victory over Germany in the Euro Cup. Oh, absolutely. Actually, it's, it's, been, <laughs> it's been very exciting. The Euro Cup has been great. There have been lots of, uh, lots of extra time, lots of shootouts, lots of upsets. So it's been great. But how about the Stanley Cup? Yeah, that's that was I was trying to throw a twist in there. But yeah, we should we are in Canada, we should probably talk about the Stanley Cup. Uh, Are you a Montreal Canadiens fan? Well, I am currently a Montreal Canadiens fan because they are Canada's team that is in the in the finals. I'm very happy to see that one of the Canadian teams uh, made it through. And uh, I think I don't know, Michael, do you think people in Quebec feel a little taller this week because they, they made it to the Stanley Cup finals because usually people feel good. Yeah, uh, when uh, when Canada does well uh, on the international stage. So this is the speaking to that. This is the first time in 28 years that that Canada, a Canadian team, has has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. So yeah, like uh, all across the country, I think people are really excited about this. Um, so what does that mean, though, politically? I mean, how how does something like this kind of impact, uh, let's say, the leader of our country? Usually politics and sports do not mix very well. I know politics, politicians like to mix them together, but Michael, here's a little kind of uh, inside pollster talk as pollsters, you know, as researchers, we always talk about different phenomenon that we see. One of the, one of the things that we do know historically is that, for example, during the Olympics, uh, when Canadian athletes are doing well, usually whoever the incumbent of the day is, gets about a four to six week bump in their numbers because Canadians are feeling proud about how Canadian athletes are doing. They're just feeling a little better and there's a little bit of positive overspill. So, you know, even for example, like when Stephen Harper was prime minister, you know, his, his numbers, you know, sometimes were very strong, sometimes were not as strong, but you know, when the Olympics would happen, his numbers would boy up about three percentage points. So how about this for uh, another twist in the election and political plot in Canada, that if the Canadians win the Stanley Cup, that might make Quebecers very happy. They might feel better about things. And there also might be a, a little bit of a mini bump uh, in, the, uh, in the liberal numbers, just because they happen to be the incumbents, not because they happen to be the red team and the Canadians mm-hmm. are red, but they just happen to be the incumbents. So, so watch out for something like that, because we've seen it in the past where incumbent governments have had a little bit of a boost whenever uh, Canadian sports teams have done really well. Great. So if England wins the Euro Cup, we might get a, a Boris bounce in uh, in Britain too. We'll see. Oh, maybe the monarchy will do it. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I wouldn't even go that far because that, that connection is a little more tenuous. But uh, right. yeah, Boris Johnson could get a bounce. Uh, so This sounds kind of weird because we're talking about soccer balls and soccer, but uh, yeah. <laughs> or football. But yes, if England wins the Euro Cup, Mark my words, the conservative numbers in the United Kingdom will go up a little bit for a short period of time, and then it'll go back to normal. So why are we talking about uh, uh, popular numbers for political parties and leaders? It's because there's a bit of election uh, storm clouds on the horizon, which we will be talking about later this episode. We're also going to look at the issues that matter to us, uh, especially the environment and the economy that's coming up. But first, I want to talk about uh, Mark Carney. So the Liberal Party of Canada has uh, an opening in Ottawa Centre, and 
they need a star candidate uh, before a, a potential election uh, is coming up. So why are we all talking about Mark Carney and, and why is his resume so amazing? First of all, there's been uh, speculation over the last number of years, even when he was the governor of the Bank of Canada, that he might be tossing his hat into the political ring. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's an obviously a very accomplished uh, person. He's a global leader now. He's a governor of the Bank of Canada, governor of the Bank of uh, England. Now he's focused on in, in the environment with the United Nations. And you know, we have this opening in, in Ottawa Centre. And I think for a lot of people, considering Mark Carney does live in Ottawa and his family's based in Ottawa, they would see it as a, a, as a natural fit. And he's neither confirmed nor denied uh, his, uh, his interest, even in, in generally in running. But he was a, coincidentally, a speaker at the last Liberal Policy Conference doesn't usually happen that often. Many times those speakers are, are, are running trial balloons in terms of their political future. So I think uh, you got to put the man on the political menu as a potential candidate in Ottawa Centre, uh, especially since there's an opening. And you know, that that seat is, a, is an important seat for the Liberals. Now, um, if if he does choose to, to, to run for the Liberals, I mean, what does that mean to, to have such a major uh, economist uh, figure like him uh, with, with the Liberal Party uh, when they're up against uh, the Conservatives, which, which I guess their main issue against the Liberal Party will be uh, getting the economy back on track after the pandemic? Well, on, on paper, at least when you look at his profile, because in addition to being the governor of the Bank of England, governor of the Bank of Canada, former senior official in the Department of Finance, he's also was part of Goldman Sachs. Uh, which is a, a, a global uh, global investment uh, firm. So he adds a lot of uh, credibility on the fiscal front to the uh, to the Liberals. But we have to remember, star candidates. So on paper, that he's very strong and obviously is a credible candidate, thoughtful, and uh, and has significant profile. But expectations are very high, and that's usually the trouble for some high-profile candidates that they're not able to meet expectations. And I think that's that would be the one thing that I believe that uh, Mark Kearney should watch out for to make sure that he can deliver on expectations if he decides to if he decides to embark on a new career uh, that is more uh, political and if he stands for, uh, for elected office. So just because it sounds good on paper doesn't mean it will be. And if he does decide to put his hat in the ring, he'll have to deliver and meet those expectations, which for all intents and purposes, are, are exceptionally high. Uh, we have seen star candidates crash and burn before. I'm, I'm thinking just top of mind, Julian Fantino, former uh, Toronto police chief who uh, Harper selected uh, as a cabinet minister. And then I remember he became uh, a veterans affairs minister and ran into hot water with, with his handling of uh, veterans. Um, and any, any other thoughts on that, Nick? Michael I mean, Ignatiev. Oh, yes, yeah. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised. The Conservatives did it one time before, right? Like the Conservatives effectively defined Michael Ignatiev as just visiting, and he was never able to shake that. Um, and you, could, you, you would expect that the Conservatives, if there was a high profile, uh, if, if Mark Carney threw his hat in the ring, that, uh, that he would have a target. He would be a, he would be a prime target for the, for the Conservatives to try to define. So 
you know, it's it's not all in, all going to be uh, sunshine if Mark Carney decides to run. It won't be all sunshine because he'll be he'll be a significant target for the Conservatives. They will try to dredge up anything that they can in order to undermine his brand, even though his global brand is very strong and his brand in Canada is uh, is quite strong too. Oh, that's great, Nick. Let's let's do five minutes more on politics. Uh, now, why are we talking about uh, an election? Is there an election on the horizon as as we seem to think there is? What why is the timing working out for the Liberals? Well, there are a number of things that are at play, and we have to remember the Liberals are a minority government, which means there could be an election uh, either whether they trigger it. Now the the House is not convened, so they don't have to worry about that. But there are a number of things that are kind of aligning for the for the Liberals at this particular point in time. First of all, it looks like we're we're near the top of the pack globally when it comes to first and second vaccinations globally. Uh, summer is coming. Canadians are feeling uh, better about the economy when they think about the long-term perspectives. Uh, they're also we're seeing some individuals, uh, op- some individual caucus members. Who are not reoffering, which means that uh, there are, are openings and the Liberals are cleaning house. And when they closed out the session, they uh, passed that, they, they introduced that legislation on Quebec as a nation. Mm. It specifically appeals to Quebecers and is very popular in Quebec, not popular outside of Quebec. It was kind of like the last session was let's do all the housekeeping and get everything in order for a potential election. Uh, perhaps later this summer, early in the fall, uh, before the CERB runs out, all that stimulus money, it gets uh, turned off. And I think the Liberals are probably eyeing a window uh, of opportunity uh, that they might want to take advantage of. So uh, how steep is that hill for them to climb to to get to a majority? What, what are they facing and what are their numbers like right now? Well, it might sound like a lot, but Michael, to put this put this into context, in the last federal election, over 17 million ballots uh, were cast. And if a little over 20,000 votes out of 17 million, 20,000 votes in 13 ridings had swung towards the Liberals, they would have formed a majority. They would have lost the popular vote, come second behind the Conservatives in the popular vote, and won a majority in the House with just a swing of 20,000 votes. And to put that into context, for the Conservatives, they needed a swing of 149,000 votes and 49 ridings in order to form government. So for the Liberals, they're at like 32, 33 in the close of the election, and they nearly won a majority because of how efficient their vote is. So let's take that number and let's fast forward now. Now, in the latest Nanos tracking, the Liberals have a double-digit lead. Their numbers are in the high 30s, and the Conservatives are not doing as well as they have been in the past. So if an election were held today, the Liberals would be flirting with majority government based on our seat projections. The good news for the Conservatives is that an election is not being held today, but they have to be concerned. That said, the day the election is called is a massive, can we do this? Reset button. It's a massive reset button because Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives will get more coverage the media will be looking to balance what I'll say news items on all of the uh, federal party leaders and the federal parties. And we'll get a sense of what the real strength of the liberals are uh, once that happens. But I think what the liberals are hoping for is people feeling good about vaccinations, that vaccination halo, feeling good about, about where things are going, and then, uh, and then perhaps giving the liberals another mandate. 
Uh, we talked about Mark Carney being a potential star candidate for them. Uh, he would be replacing Catherine McKenna, who uh, has decided to step away from politics, citing the need to spend more time with her family and to fight uh, climate change outside of government. Um, she had a, a really uh, tough time in politics as, as question period host and power play host Evan Solomon touched on uh, on this week. Um, what, what do you make of that for, for women trying to enter politics? Well, I think for Catherine McKenna, it was obviously a, a personal decision. We have to remember that she was a tower of strength, you know, whether you love her or hate her, she was a tower of strength in the, in the Liberal cabinet. She was part of the original, I'll call it liberal movement with Justin Trudeau that swept uh, into power. And she was an effective uh, cabinet minister. She was very effective as a minister in the environment. She was very effective as infrastructure. But you know, on the uglier side of politics, she had to deal with what many, maybe we should say most uh, female elected officials have to deal with. And that's the unsavory side of trolls and negative behavior and unacceptable behavior that's directed at women. A lot of it would never even be directed at, at their male counterparts. And she's been dealing with many of, many of those things that many, many women elected to uh, high office have had to deal with. So, you know, it looks like, it looks like for, for Catherine McKenna, at least, that she's ready for a bit of a change, that she's accomplished what she believes she can accomplish as uh, in the Liberal government and is looking to focus not only on her family, but on, on the environment that she has a real passion for. Hmm. So it's, uh, uh, Nick, let's, let's uh, listen to a bit of what she had to say this week. Like many Canadians living through COVID-19 over a very long year, made me step back and reflect on what matters to me most. It was quite simple, two things, my kids, and climate change. Nick, uh, she actually managed to flip Ottawa Centre from uh, an NDP riding. I mean, it, it was a pretty amazing uh, win for her. So yeah. um, how strong are the, Liberal, are the Liberals' chances going forward in Ottawa Centre? Well, they're, pre they're pretty good. And to your point, we have to remember that uh, Ottawa Centre was held by Ed Broadbent, mm -hmm. leader of the New Democrats, Paul Dewar, uh, held the riding, was very popular in the riding and a very effective uh, member of parliament. And uh, when she, and, you know, when she announced that she was uh, running for the nomination, liberal nomination in Ottawa Centre, was, there was no gimme that she was going to win uh, the nomination and no gimme that she was going to defeat Paul Dewar because he was so popular. And she has to be credited individually and her team has to be credited with uh, turning that riding from the New Democrats um, to the Liberals. And, you know, she basically squeaked out a win in the close of the campaign when she first ran and defeated uh, Paul Dewar. And then in the last federal campaign, she won handily. So she has been able to convert that riding from the orange column into the red column. And that's going to be one of her legacies. So, you know, right now uh, in the riding, at least according to our modeling, that uh, the, the riding would stay Liberal. And that's assuming that the liberal organization would be behind whoever the new liberal candidate was and they were united and that the liberals performed well or reasonably well in the federal election. Great. Uh, and so the signs to look forward to, to or forward to for an uh, upcoming election are um, a short list of the next governor general, which, uh, which we would be better for triggering an election because the prime minister has to go there. 
uh, and also uh, a cabinet shuffle. Uh, and uh, Catherine McKenna stepping down provides that option for Trudeau. Do you have any uh, guesses, uh, anything to look, we should look forward to on who might be named or who might be switched around, Nick? Well, if it's this close to an election, any way you cut it, we're near the end of this mandate, whether it's this fall or in the spring. Uh, and every cabinet shuffle from this point forward that occurs will not only include a clear focus on talent management to make sure that the right person is in the right job, but there will be a political lens. So bet your bottom dollar that if there are individuals that are elevated to cabinet and, and all governments do this, they elevate individuals to be parliamentary secretaries and cabinet ministers and ridings that they need to hold on to that might be up in the air and they promote, uh, they promote what I'll say good performance. So watch out for the Liberals to, to promote some individuals within their caucus that they believe could use a little bit of a boost to keep their riding in the red column. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but after that, we will talk about the issues that matter most to Canadians. Nick, it's time for our topics to watch, uh, where we talk about the issues that most matter to Canadians. Uh, I want to flip it this time around because there is an issue in your issue tracking. It's kind of losing steam, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. You know, we track uh, the top national issue of concern every week. Canadians get to say actually whatever they want. It's an open-ended question. They can say whatever they want. So the top number, pause, no surprise, coronavirus hmm. at, at uh, 26% uh, unprompted among Canadians. And although it's the top, the, the fact of the matter is it's at a 10-month low, which means fewer and fewer Canadians, when we look at that trend line on the coronavirus, Fewer and fewer Canadians are worried about the coronavirus, and that level of worry is basically back to where we were in, in early fall 2020. The one issue that's ramping up is actually jobs in the economy, and the environment is doing a little better. But the one, Michael, to your point, the one issue that has been declining has been deficit. It rose up a little bit during the budget, and now it's going back down. So perhaps Canadians aren't as worried about the deficit. They're not as worried about coronavirus. And now they're starting to think about those issues that they usually think about, jobs, the economy, the environment. And that'll be interesting to see whether, the, whether all of those issues kind of recalibrate into a post-pandemic world. Because remember, Michael, before the pandemic, top national unprompted issue of concern was the environment mm -hmm. at over 30%. So that's the one number that I'm going to watch to see whether Canadians on a go forward basis, as they become less concerned about coronavirus, start focusing on the economy more or they, will they start to focus on the environment more? That'll be the interesting thing to watch. Now, uh, I, I hear this uh, phrase, the roaring 20s being bandied about. I think people feel that we might be in a similar situation to the, you know, 1918 Spanish flu uh, epidemic and going into the roaring 20s. Is, is, this, fan is this a fantasy, Nick? Uh, like how is consumer confidence right now? Well, of course it's a fantasy. Who, who, <laughs> who, doesn't, want to, who doesn't want any of that kind of stuff? After we've all been cooped up, like yeah. you, I know you can't tell, but I need a haircut. <laughs> uh, I know that you don't need a haircut. I, I don't need a haircut. I'm kind of jealous. So, uh, so and I, I'm waiting for next in the next week or so to get my haircut. But you know, to your point about the Roaring Twenties, the reality is is that Canadians have been cooped up and their spending has been cooped up. They've been 
many Canadians have been paying down their debts and using extra money that they've had either from the government or, or whatever they have to pay down the debts and also to, to save. And when we look at the Bloomberg Nanos Consumer Confidence Index, what you can see on a go forward basis is a, is a significant recovery. And you know, that recovery, when you look at that trend line is even higher than it was back in 20, 2008 with the Great Recession, which I don't even think we can call the Great Recession anymore because that looked like chump change compared mm -hmm. to where we are now in the pandemic because the mm -hmm. pandemic really was a major economic disruptor. So the forward view, according to the Bloomberg Nanos Consumer Confidence Tracking, is actually quite positive for the next six months. And I think that might be another reason why um, if you're on the red team, you might want to be a little more inclined to have an election because you might want to, to take advantage of that. I was going to say, I mean, we seem to be taking a lot away from conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. I mean, the, the, the economy, rebuilding the economy should be a major issue he can yeah. use to hit at the liberals, but he doesn't seem to have that if, if consumer confidence is so high. Yeah, he's got he's to come out and, and really focus on the economy. I think that's what, Can that's what Canadians want to hear from any conservative leader. Mm -hmm. Because usually the conservatives, the default brand of the conservatives is to be strongest on the economy and to be more thoughtful and to have a clear plan on fiscal responsibility, jobs and growth and innovation. And I think Aaron O'Toole needs to, to, to get to that place and put out his vision for how the economic recovery will work, where will prosperity come from, where are jobs gonna come from in the future? And you know, the good news is, is that you know, if, if Aaron O'Toole, if, if people start putting the pandemic behind them, then they're gonna start to think about those issues like jobs and the economy. And if Aaron O'Toole has a good plan, you know, the, the upside and the downside for him is that he's undefined. So that's good news and bad news. The good news by being undefined is that if he's proactive, he can create and build a strong brand about his vision for Canada. The downside to being undefined, because about three out of every 10 Canadians are unsure whether he has the qualities of a good political leader or not. The downside is that you can bet your bottom dollar that massive liberal attack machine will try to define Aaron O'Toole in an unflattering way in order to create an advantage that Justin Trudeau can lean on during the election. Hmm. Uh, Nick, we always like to end our episodes uh, on a high note, which brings us to the upshot. So what do you have for us this episode? Fever, Michael, fever. We're talking <laughs> about election fever. And uh, it looks like we're at a point where if we're at herd immunity, the liberals might have enough gumption. Do you think the listeners will understand what the word gumption is? I know if you're probably over 80 years of age, you probably know what gumption is. Chutzpah? I think I think it's a, it's the perfect word for this yes. in this case, gumption. Chutzpah, to uh, to call an election without being defeated in the House because the House won't be convening. The Prime Minister talked about a toxic atmosphere in the House of Commons, but he's still got all his work done. Mm -hmm. But watch out for the Liberals. They might do a little stroll, not down memory lane, but to Rideau Hall in order to trigger an election that they hope will give them another mandate, but that's still yet to be determined, but there are a lot of positive signs that they're probably gonna lean on to take advantage of. 
Well, there you go. If you're looking forward to an election like Nick and I are, then uh, then things are good. Um, Nick, thank you very much. And as usual, where can we find you? So for stats, go to www.nanos.co. That's where all the stats are. So go there. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos. I'm also on Twitter at Michael Siddle. And for more information on what Nick and I have discussed today, uh, the news stories of the day, go to ctvnews.ca. Thank you for listening and watching.